Today I'm talking about moments, though. You know, funny thing about moments um, is once a moment is gone, it's gone forever. You know, people talk about time travel and stuff, but it's just not possible. Let's be real. And people are like, oh, but physics. And I'm like, get out of here with physics. That's gone. You don't ever get it back. You just don't. Moments, moments happen so fast. Like moments are like, it happens in a second. No, I think a moment happens faster than a second. Moments are gone. All the, they, they come and they go so fast. You never get a moment back. Moments, moments are priceless. Because even if I spend $100, I can go make $100. But once that moment, once I get rid of that moment, once I invest it or spend it or whatever, waste it, that moment is gone forever. You know, moments are kind of like cells. You know, the human body is made up of trillions of cells, right? We can't do anything without cells in our body. We can't have skin. Our skin is made up of cells. We can't, we can't have muscles that work without cells we our organs don't work they can't exist without cells everything that we do happens only because we have trillions and trillions of cells in the body i was trying to do some research to find out how much how, how many cells the human body actually has but evidently there some some people have bigger bodies than others so they have more cells than others so it's really hard to come up with it's like 19 trillion or like 100 trillion they can't really ha- count i can't I can't comprehend how you start trying to count trillions anyway. But there's trillions, trillions of cells in the body. You know what happens when cells decide they aren't going to play nice with each other? Cancer. Similar to cells, life is also made up of trillions of moments. Trillions. Some of us remember, like... Certain moments, we have like half a dozen really good memories. But that doesn't mean your life isn't built in trillions of moments. Those are just the things that stick out in your life. Moments, we have trillions of moments in our lives. Some of those moments bring healing, help, and wholeness. But we also have moments in our life that bring hurt, that break us, that scar us. Now, I've determined that there are three major types of moments that we all have in life. And I think it's important for us to identify them and call them what they are. Some of us have had a ton of positive moments in our lives that introduce us to love and goodness. And in turn, we produce love and goodness in our lives. Because some of us were given gifts as kids. And so so now we must... Be gift givers. You know, others might have had more negative moments than anything. We have moments that left scars and bruises. And even today, as I'm talking about some of these types of moments, some of you are going to wince because I'm going to talk about types of moments and things are going to come up and you're going to say, man, that hurts. That's uncomfortable. And we leave that alone for just a minute. You know, some of, some of you guys already are already thinking about moments in your life right now. You know, maybe you grew up as a witness to your parents' Friday night fights. You guys didn't have game night. You guys didn't sit down and have dinner at the table. Instead, it was you heard your parents fighting, arguing, bickering. Parents, you know, I was... 
now that I'm a dad and as my daughter grows up, it, it's become more clear how, how each moment matters. You know, I've been fighting for like 10 years and I took a break for the last like almost 11 months because why my daughter was just so much more important. Who cares if, I, if my jab is perfect, but I miss moments with my baby. Similar, you know, guys, if I know like as a parent, sometimes sleep deprivation just gets you, right? Especially parents of new babies, sleep deprivation gets you. Sometimes as your kids grow older, maybe, maybe just certain phases of life just gets you. Maybe you're going through some stuff and maybe you and your wife aren't getting along. But, and this is just kind of a side note, moments are so important. Your kids will remember the moment that you, that you screamed and yelled at each other. That they'll remember the moments that when you tore each other down. And it might only happen once or twice, but that's enough. Because I know when I was a kid, we used to take bike rides all the time. Probably only did it like three or four times. But I remember it as all the time. And if I can remember bike rides all the time when it only realistically happened a few times, I mean, what happens when you argue three or four times in front of your kids and just berate each other? And then it becomes an all-the-time thing, and then that's a certain amount of healing that kids have to deal with. Some people experience moments of abuse or neglect and that makes it difficult to see that anything could be positive. Moments are incredibly important. Today, as I'm speaking, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you moments in your life that we're going to be talking about. When He speaks to you, I want you to make a note. You don't have to write, write out the whole story. Just write a title, this moment. Then I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to show you if the moment was cancerous or if it was healing. You know, just this past year, maybe two years ago, like, I learned to pray a specific way. And I'm not a big fan of, like, those written prayer, like, prayer books, and then, like, I just recite words. Because, you know, the Holy Spirit isn't like magic. You don't get like a magic wand and like throw a dash of this and that and then abracadabra and God does what you want him to do. If you don't say, if you say the if you say the right words, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to get the right results. But there's a way that I've kind of started praying recently within the last couple of years and it's this, it's Holy Spirit what are some lies that I'm believing that I ought to be rejecting? And what are some truths that I ought to be embracing? Ask him that. And when it comes to these moments, as we go through these, say, all right, Holy Spirit, was that good for me? Did that, did that benefit me? So the first moment that I want to talk about are moments that shape you. I'm going to give some stories from my own life, too. But we're going to start with um, Isaiah 64, 8. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the handiwork, or we are all the work of your hand. Sorry. 
I've memorized some scriptures and other um, <laughs> other versions. So sometimes when I'm reading, they just kind of pop in. I believe we all have moments in life that have the ability to shape us. I think the trick is letting the potter be the potter and realizing that we're the clay. Our, the, we run into hard times when the clay decides that it wants to be the potter. It's like when instead of allowing the and instead of shaping our lives to fit the Bible, we try to fit the Bible to shape to or shape the Bible to fit our lives. So often we see that in society. Like we don't like that part of the Bible, we'll just skip through it. Oh, that's not what it really means. Well, that's just that's that's because that was written two thousand years ago. I'm telling you guys, truth is truth. It doesn't matter if it was told two thousand years ago or or two thousand years from today. Truth is truth. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You know, God talks to everyone. Everyone. People, people say all the time, well, I don't ever hear God's voice. The reason you probably don't hear God's voice is because you're probably not listening. Too much of our prayer, our prayer life is us talking. Talk, 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 talk. Hang up the phone. Right? It's so freeing when you learn how to talk, 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 sit. And just sit. Just embracing that time of allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you. See, there's a problem I think a lot of us run into with prayer. Is I even grew up hearing that prayer is just simply talking to God, but it's not. It's not. Prayer is not talking to God. Prayer is connecting your spirit with the spirit of God. That's why we don't, sometimes when I pray, I don't have to say a single word out of my mouth. And that's why sometimes when you pray, you're sitting in your bedroom and you're saying all these words, but it feels like they're hitting the ceiling or it feels like you're talking to an imaginary friend. Because it has nothing to do with your spirit. It has to do with just words that are coming out. You know, the more you listen to God, the more you recognize His voice. The more you recognize His voice, the more you will hear Him. The more you hear Him, the more you'll listen. Because when you listen and obey the voice of the Father, your life inevitably gets bigger and more full. I didn't say better. Bigger and more full. You will still have problems. Jesus said it. He said, in this life you will have problems take heart I've overcome the world yeah I love the Bible I used to not but it was just because it wasn't that I didn't like the Bible it's just I didn't like to read reading has always kind of been difficult for me like my eyes try to grab words out of like out of order anybody else have that so like my eyes will try to grab words before it gets there it's like the doctor says like my eyes are trying to move too fast like I'm trying to get to the end of the story before I get to the middle so my eyes try to grab stuff out of, out of order. So I never really liked the Bible. It's not so much I didn't like the Bible. Like I said, it was more I didn't like reading. But then as I really dove into the Bible, there, you find the Bible is full of some of the most outrageous, audacious stories you could ever invent. <laughs> but they're real. You know, they say like truth is stranger than fiction. And man, look at the Bible. There's this story in the Bible of a guy named Jonah. And Jonah was a prophet, and 
God told Jonah to go to Nineveh to, uh, and tell them to repent, which seems easy, right? Because, I mean, Jonah's a prophet, so why wouldn't he go tell people to repent? It's like going to Burger King and asking somebody to flip a burger, right? Like, this is what you do. <laughs> Don't get upset. But he didn't want to go. He was upset. He was like, no, I'm not going. And if you look in context, basically Nineveh is where today, like, modern-day Iraq is. So you've got God telling this Jew to go to Iraq and tell them that they're sinners and they need to repent. Right, God, thanks. Sounds like a fantastic plan. So what does, what does Jonah do? He goes, down to, he goes down to hop on a boat, and instead of going to Nineveh, he goes to Tarshish, which is kind of a funny word to say. But instead of going left, he went right, basically. He went the exact opposite way. To make a long story short, they end up throwing him off the boat. He got swallowed by a big fish. And in kids' church, we always see, like, these illustrations of Jonah sitting in the whale or the big fish. And it feels like he's sitting in a room that's, like, this big. And he's got a chair and, like, a light, you know. <laughs> like, you're coloring in. But that's not how it was at all. He was likely just swallowed up and had, like, like stomach acid eating his face. And it probably smelt like all the other raw seafood that this big fish slash whale had eaten days before. And he's just in there and he's just contemplating, yeah, I probably should have gone to Nineveh. Right? <laughs> you put that story into real terms, that's what it probably looked like. All right, God, I'll do it. We like to point fingers and make fun of, like, of these characters in the Bible, like, like Peter walked on water, right? But then he took his eyes off Jesus and he sank. We were like, oh, he should have had more faith. You should have had more faith. <laughs> it was funny. It was like we like to point fingers at Peter. Peter was the only one that actually got out. Only reason he sank was he was the only one that had the opportunity to sink. Everybody else was still sitting in the boat. You know, he might have failed, but he also succeeded. If I was Peter, I would have got back in the boat and said, yeah, you didn't even do it. I walked on water. It might have been for five seconds, but I walked on water. Ever walk on water for five seconds? No, you haven't. <laughs> didn't think so. You know, I've had some um, pretty amazing opportunities in ministry. You know, when I was in middle school, I, pre I preached my first sermon when I was like 12 years old. My youth pastor was crazy. <laughs> she let me speak when I was like 12. Public speaking is an art like any other kind of art, like painting or drawing or anything like that. And sometimes you draw out of the lines <laughs> when you're speaking. Like I look back at youth groups, some, like, some of the times when I, would, I was uh, preaching, like when I was in middle school and high school, and I think, man, was I even preaching the gospel of Jesus? <laughs> but um, you know, I, I was given the opportunity to color outside the lines a few times, and she'd rope it back in. Then, um, then later, uh, I was, we were, I think I was a junior, and you were a sophomore in high school. We got the opportunity to go to um, Lima, Peru. And um, we, as, even as students, Lindsay and I were really leading this trip. We had, like, you know, drama teams and stuff, and, like, worship teams all planned out. And um, I had been asked to speak at this one service. It was an outdoor service, and um, I had been asked to speak, and I was like, sweet, this is awesome. This is my first time getting to speak internationally. 
I'm only 16. I'm an international evangelist. And um, so, <laughs> so I, you know, it was just going to be a real basic message. You know, Jesus came. He died. He rose again. You know, he's, the, he's our salvation. And so it was a basic message. Long story short, we got to the place. This other adult leader that was there with us, he decided to speak instead, even though I had prepared and, like, kind of hurt, you know, kind of kind of punched my 16-year-old ego in the gut. And so I was pouting in the back of where, where um, like, our service was. And he had made this altar call, and a bunch of people were coming down to pray. And me and my buddy Chris, who was another, he was a youth pastor at the time. Um, I was, we were talking, and out of nowhere, this old lady walked up to us. And um, she started speaking. And in Peru, mostly they speak Spanish, but they also speak um, a language called Quechua or Quechuan. And um, so she was speaking. I didn't understand any of it, and I understand a little bit of Spanish, so I called over a translator. And basically, this lady could barely see, and she had uh, really bad pain in her eyes. And she wanted Chris and I to pray for her. And I was like, but they're praying for people down there. And she's like, but I want you to pray for me. I want you guys to pray for me. So Chris was like, all right, we're going to pray, and we're going to ask God for a miracle. So I was like, all right, cool, let's pray. So we started praying. We're just asking God, all right, God, heal We want a, a miracle type of healing. We don't, this lady's old. She might not live long enough to get the, like, like long kind of healing. <laughs> so we need you to heal her kind of today. Um, and so... <laughs> So we're praying, and, I mean, that was my 16-year-old brain. Um, but then I felt the Holy Spirit tell me, bend down, pick up some dirt, spit in it, and put it in her eyes. I was like, what? No. <laughs> I think you misheard. Her eyes already hurt. <laughs> she doesn't want to have dirt in her eyes. And so the Holy Spirit kept telling me, pick up some dirt, spit in it, and put it in her eyes. So like, God, you are God. You're good enough to heal her eyes without dirt in her eyes. So just, if you could do your job, I'm doing my job, you do your job, I'm praying, you heal. All right? And we argued about it for a couple minutes, and then I was like, no, I'm not doing it. And then Chris, he was a bit of a bigger guy, um, so he's, I'm praying, I feel Chris move, and he's kneeling down, he's scooping up some dirt, and he starts spitting in it. I was like, are you kidding me? So he... <laughs> He stood up, he spit in this dirt and put it on the lady's eyes, and she was healed that day. And so, like, yeah, we were, we were really, I mean, we were really excited. It's not every day you get to pray with somebody that's blind that gets to see. It's just not, it's not every day. So we were really excited until I noticed that I, that God had talked to me first. And God had told me to bend down, pick up some dirt, spit in it, put it in her eyes. I was like, why? Why didn't I do it? You know, then I came to the realization that God wants to use you, but he doesn't need to. It's, I learned that God's plan isn't contingent on me being perfect. God's plan isn't contingent on my lack of faith. It never catches him off guard either. You know, God wanted to heal that lady that day, and he was going to do it with or without me. I think it's, it's vital, it's vital that we identify moments in our lives that shape you. My spiritual life was shaped that day. God desperately wants to be the potter. 
He desperately wants to shape you. But too often we let people and their mistakes and their sin shape us instead. Because people hurt us. Because people break us. People let us down. People betray us. We understand the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And sometimes that sin gets on us. And then that's really surprising. We're supposed to keep our sin to ourselves. But that's not how the world works. Sometimes people's sin gets on us and it hurts. We just have to remember, God is the potter, we're the clay. Nobody else's sin, nobody else's mistakes, nobody else's mess-ups, nobody else's intentions are the potter either. Identify moments in your life that have shaped you. Second, moments that change you. A few years later, uh, Lindsay and I got to go to Colombia, Bogota. We did Bogota and Busagosuga. It's a fun word to say. But we were there to do um, anti-drug and alcohol presentations in the public school. Really, we were there to teach people about Jesus, but they wouldn't let us in if we told them that. So we told them that we were going to teach people about like drugs and alcohol, and then we just, all everybody on the team basically happened to have the same story about how Jesus saved them. So um, they let us, they let us talk about like drugs and alcohol, and then Jesus, if that was part of our story, just happened to be part of all of our stories. Um, <laughs> so we went, and we were doing this, we like go in, and um, we had like different skits and things, funny skits, and we'd get to talk with the kids. They always thought it was awesome that we were white because um, <laughs> they don't see very many of them there. Um, they loved Lindsay's hair. It was light. Um, but one day they kind of threw a curveball at us, and we were supposed to be doing all these, these like, public school speaking engagements. And, like, we ended up at this orphanage. And, um, and a lot of South American homes, instead of having, like, a front yard and a backyard, they basically have a middle yard. It's like... You know what I'm talking about? It's like a plaza in the middle of the, the building. And that's how this orphanage was set up. So you walk in, they had like a main foyer, then you walk through a couple more doors, and then they had like grass and a tree, and it was, kind of blew my mind. But I walked, I don't know why, but everybody like kind of walked in, and they were talking in the main foyer, and I just kept walking. <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to go do my, do my own thing. Um, I walked through these doors, and um, this little girl, uh, she was three years old, she saw me when she walked in, and it was like we knew each other. Like, it was almost like we hadn't seen each other for a weekend, you know. And so I squatted down and sat down on a bench that evidently had been freshly painted. Um, <laughs> and she ran up to me. Like, she ran all the way up to me. She was just maybe a couple feet in front of me. Then she stopped and thought, oh, man, I actually don't know this guy. And then she turned back around and darted. Um, at the time, Lindsay and I had been trying to have a baby for a couple of years, and um, it just hadn't worked out yet, and when I connected, that girl's name was Michelle, when I connected with Michelle, like something in me just, just broke, just absolutely wrecked. I had to, like, I had to go away from the group. I found, like, a stairwell and, like, walked up the stairs and just sobbed for probably 15 minutes at least. Until um, a buddy of mine, Brett, came up and he was talking to me and like, because my issue was 
I felt like I was a dad that needed a kid, and there were kids that needed a dad, and some reason we couldn't make the connection. And Brett, in a roundabout way, was like, listen, if you can only be her dad for the next two hours, go be her dad for the next two hours. And so, like, Lindsay and I adopted, uh, we would have loved to adopt her, really, but um, <laughs> the, that, that was another story that just kind of fell through. But we, uh, we adopted her for that, for that afternoon. And um, we played with her, we crafted with her, we colored with her. I think her favorite part was when we gave her pixie sticks and she would tear up the paper and throw it in my face. I don't know why she thought that was hilarious, but she did. Um, she, hadn't, she hadn't hardly smiled since she got to the orphanage. She was um, taken uh, possession of by the state because she was, at three years old, she was a victim of sexual abuse. And so, yeah, um, actually, I actually had a fight, like, a few weeks after that trip. And I, I visualized her, um, <laughs> I visualized her attackers, and I finished the guy in 56 seconds. But, um, like, we, we hung out with her, we played with her, we laughed with her. And, you know, a girl that had never hardly smiled ended up not only peeing her pants, but peed Lindsay's pants, too, because she was laughing so hard. You know, most people think broken hearts are a tragedy, but I'd argue it's far worse to guard yourself from the whole world and never experience what it feels like to break for somebody that you don't know. In Matthew 25, Jesus talks to his disciples about feeding the hungry. You know, we're doing a Matthew party with the youth group in a couple of weeks. And it says feed the hungry. It doesn't say necessarily feed the poor. He said feed the hungry. So we're actually going to get um, a bunch of hamburgers, and we're going to go down to the beach, and we're just going to ask people if they're hungry, and we're going to give them to them. Like families, like even people that have money. We're just going to give them to them. Because he said to feed the hungry. So visit the sick. Give clothes to people that are naked. It's kind of hard to find people that are naked. He says if we do those things to strangers, we've done them for him. My wife loves me. <laughs> Ephesians 5, 21 through 28 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as, the Christ, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. We love this part, guys, don't we? Right? Women submit! I'm watching football today. Right? I don't even really watch football. I really don't. We, uh, we watch like HGTV all the time. I like it. Husbands! This is the part, though, that gets us. We love the wives submit to us. But to get this, guys, we don't have it any better. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and, the, and to present her to himself as a, as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So we love the, 
Woman, submit. But her response would be like, all right, go crucify yourself. That's what. Wives, submit. Yeah, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How do you do that? He gave himself up for, for the church. He was crucified. He was, he died. Here's so many men like, man, my wife just needs to respect me. No, you need to do something worth respecting. I'm a man. That's why I can say this to, if I was a woman, I might be saying some other things, but I'm not a man. I'm not, I'm not a woman, so I'm a man, so i got to speak to the men. Some of the women that are cheering might ought to check themselves too, though. Um, when was the last time you had a moment in your life change you? See, some of us get into this routine. We do the same thing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We do the same thing all over and over and over. We get real comfortable. We, have, we know exactly what, we even know what we're going to eat on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We never open our lives up for an opportunity to change. I'm going to tell you something, though. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I'll tell you something. Jesus didn't come to make you better. He didn't. He didn't come to make you better. Jesus came to make you new. When was the last time you had something in your life, a moment that changed you? See, I went through that whole husbands and wives thing because, listen, if you say you love somebody, but it doesn't hurt a little bit every once in a while, you don't actually love them. Your love should make you uncomfortable. Your love should change you. Why are you always trying to change me? Why are you trying to not change? It got real quiet. It got moments, moments that shape us, moments that change us, and moments that save us. This, my dad's told this story a few times from the stage, but he's told it from his perspective. Now I'm going to tell it from mine. <laughs> um, when I was about five years old, I got lost at the beach. Anybody know this story a little bit? I got lost at the beach. So my Uncle John and his family had come. They're from Ohio. They came down. We lived in Virginia Beach. It's kind of like a cheap vacation. You just go stay at your brother's house. And um, so we all went to the beach, and my uncle took some kids. He, he was taking some of the kids to go look for seashells. I didn't understand why, because we live in Virginia Beach. There aren't seashells. It's just sand. So, like, I was like, sure, I'll go. This is stupid. And so I'm just walking, and I got, you know, I may have walked maybe five, five minutes, like, if that. And then I was like, all right, I'm really not feeling this. Hey, Uncle John, I'm going to head back to, to my parents. He said, okay, wait. I'll walk back with you in a minute. I know he said that, but my five five-year-old brain said he's going to take too long I'm five years old five minutes is like already a big fraction of my life so I've got I've got to walk back now so I just turned turned around I figured the ocean is on the right side all the blankets and chairs are on the left side this can't be but so difficult to find my parents so I turn around I just keep looking left 
I don't know. I must have walked like 30 minutes. I know I walked like five one way and then like 30 the other. I don't know why I didn't ever stop and think, hmm, I wonder if I passed them. But I just kept walking, just kept walking and then, until a couple of ladies ran up to me and said, hey, are you lost? And I didn't know stranger danger, so I was like, yep. And they were like, okay, so do you want to go back to our beach house with us? We've got a pool and some orange juice. I was like, that sounds fantastic. I'm parched. I need a drink. So, so I just walked back to the house with them. <laughs> All these mothers are like, no. Was, yeah, it's true. I walked back to the house. I'm not ashamed. <laughs> I was really upset, though, when I got there. I had to, like, walk up these. It was, it was a nice house. They had, like, a big porch and stuff. I was really upset because this pool that they told me about was, like, one of those little baby pools, like, the plastic kind. It had, like, warm water in it. Didn't even feel good. So, like, I got up there, and I was so disappointed. I was mad about this pool. I was like, um, the ocean's right there. If you told me a pool, I'm expecting, like, a diving board, a slide, something to compare with the ocean. Because the ocean, you can boogie board, body board, all that good stuff. What am I supposed to do with this pool? So I sat down. I was disappointed. They're like, all right, listen, we're going to get you your orange juice. We'll be right back. I don't know why both of them left anyway, but both of the ladies went inside the house. The more I talk about it and think about it, the creepier it sounds. But they left. I was disappointed about the pool. I was expecting you guys better come back with, like, fresh orange juice. I don't want this sunny d stuff because this pool is, is really really disappointing before i even got my orange juice though my i see my dad sprinting down the beach he's just getting it and i thought i was in trouble so i'm like bracing for impact but instead he just runs up hops up the stairs i don't know how but i don't even think he touched a single step he just jumped all the way up grabbed me and then ran back to my mom. Because back in the day, there was no text messaging, no Facebook, hey, I found your son. It was, she wasn't going to know I was found until I was back in her arms. He never thanked the ladies, never got her, never got neither of their names. I don't even know if they know what happened to me when they came out with this couple <laughs> horse juice. Like, like where, where did this boy go? We just had this little boy with red swimming trunks on. He must really not have liked this pool. He just left. So, but I wonder sometimes, I know God isn't confused or scared or anything like that, but sometimes I wonder if, if my dad's point of view, like with me being a lost boy, you know, my dad was running all over the beach asking everybody. You can only imagine, you know, have you seen a boy? He's about this tall. Big head, red shorts. Like, have you seen this kid? He's running everywhere, and he had this one moment where a bunch of people were gathered around up by the, up by the water, and like his, he said his heart just sunk because it looked like you know, something had washed up, and like the first thought was my son. So he ran over to the edge of the water. It was a, like a horseshoe crab or something. And so he's just, he, but I can imagine, sometimes I wonder, I, I know God isn't, confused or scared, but sometimes I wonder if God isn't looking down on us and just going, come on, you're lost. You're lost. And he, in a way, I know God just wishes he could run back and forth down the beach just to rescue us and find us. You know, I think a big problem is a lot of us don't have any idea that we're lost, number one. 
I think another issue is a lot of us have no idea that, well, maybe we know we're lost because we feel like we're floating in a canoe in the middle of the ocean, no sail, no motor, no nothing. We know we're lost. We have no idea where we're going in life. But some of us have no idea how to get found. You know, there's, there's a doctrine that floats around that's, you know, that says all ways are the way. You know, every religion says the same thing, but it just doesn't. And I mean that, and I say that in love, it just doesn't. You know, John 14, 6, as Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way to accept a, a universalism theology is to call Jesus a liar. And so if Jesus is a liar, then all ways aren't the way anyway. There's this guy, he's a, he was a, um, an artist, a musician back in like in the 70s and 80s. Some of you guys might know the name Keith Green. But before he ever like accepted Jesus, you know, he was looking at all these different options of like, like, did he want to be Buddhist? Did he want to do all these different things? And he said like, if you look at all of the religions, the major religions of the world, they all, they all say that Jesus is a prophet. Jesus is a good teacher. At the very least, he's a good guy, right? And there, some of them say that Jesus is a way. He's a way to get to heaven. But then you got Jesus that says, I am the only way. So it's like you got all these people pointing at him, and then you've got him pointing at himself. You'll have a lot of important, even special events in life, but none of them could ever be more important ever compared to the moment that you decided you were going to live for Jesus. You know, there's a big difference between saying a sinner's prayer and actually deciding to live for him. I don't have a moment. Like, I really wish. Like, when I was growing up, I really wish I had this, like, story of when I walked down the altar for the first time and said the sinner's prayer and accepted Jesus in my life, but I don't. I don't. To be honest, I grew up in church my whole life. I was always a pretty good kid. But I do remember a moment when I decided, you know what, I'm going to do this for me because I want to live for Jesus. Not because, not because I love my dad and my dad is so awesome and I want to be like him. I want to live for Jesus because I want to live for Jesus. You know there's not a single sinner's prayer in the Bible you can find anywhere. I'm not saying that it's not good to make a declaration of faith and say, say you know, re repent for sin. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there's no prayer that, that breaks you into heaven. You can't say something like it's, a magic, like it's magic words. There's no abracadabra let me into heaven. Some people believe in this like, once saved, always saved kind of a thing. Being saved has to do with the position of your heart. And what are you committed to? The question is, is am I more committed to my sin or am I more committed to my Savior? That's where salvation is found. That's where being, that's where you go from being lost to being found. That's that moment of being saved. Let's go and stand. We're going to get ready to close.
Now, some of you guys, as I was mentioning different moments in life, some of those moments were good moments. And maybe as I was saying, maybe as I was talking, like it reminded you of certain moments in life. And some of those moments, maybe they were good. Maybe they made you laugh a little. I go, yeah, I got lost at the beach once too. <laughs> maybe it wasn't the beach. Maybe it was the mall. That's... But we all have moments that shape us, change us, and save us. I'm going to, we're going to prepare to pray. I've got some people that are going to come down and um, pray with you. Got a couple things that we're going to pray for. One is salvation. I know I said there's no sinner's prayer, but but if you'd like to come down and make a declaration of faith and say, you know what, today I want to live for Jesus. Today I'm starting. I'm starting. I'm going to live for Jesus. And you want to repent, you want somebody to pray with you and talk with you and kind of help you see what that looks like a little more clear. There's no such thing as like, like solo Christians, okay? We can't do this by ourselves. That's why we're the body of Christ. Together, collectively, we're the body of Christ. So if you want to, if you want to give your life to Jesus, if you want to start living for Him, we're going to do that in just a moment. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you to the altar. And then maybe there's some people in the room that have had some moments in life that changed them for the bad. Maybe you've got some moments in your life that hurt you, that broke you. Maybe you're sad all the time, and you have no idea why. My encouragement to you would be, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal some things to you. Remember that prayer, Holy Spirit, what lies am I believing that I ought to be rejecting? What truths am I rejecting that I ought to be embracing? I'm going to pray that. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Holy Spirit, thank you for being here for this word. God, we love you. Like we said earlier in our service, Holy Spirit, you're welcome. Make yourself at home. In the most true sense of the, of the word, make, it, make yourself at home. Rearrange the furniture.